0: This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Visit
1: VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. It my music. Break it down. Oh, you didn't know! Stand back! Do you smell what the rock is cooking?
2: You're listening to Music of the Mat on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network.
0: Hello and welcome to Music of the Mat, the podcast devoted exclusively to the music of pro wrestling. It's all part of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. I'm your host, Andrew Rich. This is episode 89, and today we're looking at the themes of Batista. And to help me do that is a returning guest here on the show. He is a contributor for Voices of Wrestling. It is Sean Sidor. Hello, Sean.
2: Hi, Andrew. How's it going? I'm good. How are you? Good, good. Just uh, living the uh, pandemic life the best I can. Just trying to, uh, you know, working from home uh, and uh, passing the time. Anyway, I can. So it's it's going, it's going good as good as it can be right now in the world we live in. So,
0: yeah, I feel, yeah, for sure. Yeah. um, I mean, with you, you know, there's some sense of normalcy because NASCAR is still going on. And I know that because you tweet about it like nonstop whenever it's on. So oh, yeah. you know, it's a good way to see that the world hasn't totally gone to shit just yet. You know, the, I see those 9000 NASCAR tweets and I know that things are somewhat OK. They're, they're very comforting, Sean. <laughs>
2: Yeah, no, no. It's racing is you know, it, it feels weird that like all like the other sports are you know talking about whether football is even going to happen this year, and the NBA and the NHL are having their bubbles, and baseballs having their their major issues of all sorts with their season, and all the racing that I watch is just you know just going as normal because you don't really need fans to watch a motorsports race like I. uh just woke up early this morning to watch the F1 race in the UK, which was a lot of fun. And then I'm, as soon as I'm done here, and as soon as I do some grocery shopping, I'm gonna be uh, watching NASCAR. So for me, it's uh, I guess it's in terms of sports, it's a bit more normal than most people, I'd say.
0: Yeah, I guess so. I mean, you know, being in a car by yourself, you don't have to worry about contact with other drivers all that much, or being in a big huddle with your teammates. So. Um, it, it does have those advantages, for sure. And,
2: and you don't need to worry about crowd noise.
0: That's true, too. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, anyway, it's good to have you back on the show here, of course. Um, last time you were on was last year for the Chris Jericho episode. Uh, but between then and now, uh, you and I were recently on another podcast here on the VOW network, uh, the five-star match game with Joe Gagne, where we did a 2010's WWE trivia, which... To a lot of people, is probably an insane endeavor, because who can remember any of that stuff? Right. Um, well, apparently me, you, and Paul Walsh can. And um, no spoilers if you haven't checked it out yet, but uh, the last question it came down to, uh, your question, Sean, might go down as like one of the craziest last questions in trivia history.
2: <laughs> oh yes, that was a, uh, a real, uh, just a, a mind-blowing last question in all... And I guess in the weird sense, it was just something to-, it, to me, it was totally out of left field. But when the answer was revealed, it was sort of like, okay, I sort of remember this now, but uh, yeah, what a, what a last question. And and, and I'm kind of, I, I I was kind of annoyed because I feel like I, I could have sent the game into overtime had I answered that correctly, but it is what it is. It was still a lot of fun. So I guess that's the takeaway. It's just it, it, Five star match games, all about having fun.
0: Yeah, it's a lot of fun to listen to and uh, and to play as well. Definitely, definitely. Well, uh, anyway, let's get to today's episode here. And uh, indeed, we are covering the themes of Batista. Uh, Batista, a big star for WWE for uh, many years during the mid to late two thousands, multi time world champion, a uh, main event player, and then about uh, ten years ago, actually, uh, he left WWE uh, for the much, 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 much greener pastures of Hollywood, where he became an even bigger star. And uh, to start off here, you know, when I was a kid, I started watching when Batista was firmly a heel in evolution. And um, as I've explained, you know, many times over the course of the podcast, with many wrestlers when I was a kid, my opinion towards Batista depended on, you know, whether or not he was a good guy or a bad guy. So at first, naturally, I hated him because he was a bad guy. And then, when he left Evolution and became a face, all of a sudden, voila, by magic, I liked him. <laughs> so that, that's the way it went. But um, but nowadays, you know, even as an adult, I still have a lot of love for Batista. Um, maybe part of it has to do with me liking him in movies, or him just being like a cool dude in general. But, um, you know, I think back to my youth, and I do have a lot of fond memories of the guy. Uh, hitting those big Batista bombs and spinebusters and... Shaking the ropes, doing the the thumbs up, thumbs down, the entrance, of course, the music, um, and even some pretty good promos back in the day, uh, especially at the end of that run in in and twenty ten. But uh, what about you, Sean? Where does Batista stand in your mind and in your fandom?
2: Yeah, I I think for yourself and and myself and anyone who grew up as a kid in the uh, in that sort of mid two thousands period, and they were if they were WWE fans, you know, I think Batista sort of holds a higher place in, in people's minds than say someone who started watching wrestling in any of the earlier eras. Um, yeah. Cause when I, you know, first started watching, it was still part of evolution. And then really, you know, I guess the first, my, my first full year, like January to December of watching wrestling was when Batista had his big breakout, you know, when he won the Royal rumble and won the world championship. And so, yeah, so my, I guess middle school, high school years were, you know, sort of, it was an era of WWE where Batista was, he was one of the guys. It was him and John Cena, really, who were the, the top dogs. And, uh, yeah, I always, I always enjoyed Batista. Um, I think more so once he sort of broke away from evolution and started doing his own thing as a main event singles guy. But, uh, you know, yeah, I, I, I always liked Batista and that extended sort of to his, um, to his I guess return runs even though uh it wasn't under the I guess the best of circumstances in terms of you know things didn't exactly go the way that WWE might have wanted them to go but uh hey it, the return sort of I guess multiple returns gave us so many great memories like blue tasta <laughs> and give me what i want and all sorts of other little memories to finish out his career but yeah no as a whole again i would understand if Someone who started watching wrestling earlier than us uh, wasn't necessarily a big fan of Batista, but yeah, as people who grew up in that era, you know, Batista holds, a, I guess, a higher place in our fandom.
0: And the thing about Batista, too, is that, and I think most people would agree with this, he doesn't have, like, the Hall of Fame level match resume. You know, he's got, like, the Undertaker matches, which are great, um, some great Evolution tags, the Mania thirty triple threat match, uh, a few other ones too, but I think for the most part, his output in the ring was it was okay, it was decent. But like a lot of big time wrestlers over the years, that didn't really matter all that much because he had this overwhelming superstar charisma to him. You know, he had he had this presence that people just were drawn to, and the energy and the explosiveness, and a real likability and charm to him as well when he finally had a chance to express it. Um, and the muscles help too, of course, the muscles (laughs) help too. But, uh, but yeah, Batista, he's one of those guys who I don't always want to go back and watch a match of his, but I do want to watch him and like be around him, (laughs) which is the sign of a real star, Sean.
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, it really feels like that once he sort of started to break out on his own, it really, I think he got to show more of his personality. Um, and, and, and I guess just to show that he had sort of. Not only, you know, I mean, again, he wasn't, you know, the best wrestler in the world, but he was, you know, passable in the ring, especially, you know, when he was in there with the right guys. And then as time went on, he showed that he had the personality to, uh, to match his, I I guess, his push, I guess you could say. Um, and also, you know, uh, I don't know how this relates to anything, but he had some, I I always remember him having some of these like ridiculous outfits that he would wear sometimes (laughs) in that era. I, I, I always remember the one. Where he vacated the world title in two thousand six, where he came out in this like white, this massive like white turtleneck shirt. Yeah, <laughs> and it always it always seems like he had this, uh, uh I guess a, a weird fashion sense about him. But no, yeah, he's again just someone who, as a kid, you know, growing up in middle school and high school, I, I never owned a Batista shirt, um, but I always you know saw him as one of the 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 big stars, and always someone who I uh. Always followed and enjoyed, and it, it, it's funny now. I think about it. My my dad, my dad does not look like Batista, but he would always say that he, when I was a kid, that he looked like Batista. That you know, my dad would say that he himself looked like Batista, sort of just to make not make fun of me, but just to like just just play around with me a little bit. I I, I think I think the only reason why he was saying that is because he had the little you know, I guess the Batista tr- one of his trademarks is that little like soul patch on his chin. Uh, a little bit of facial hair. My dad had that for a little bit, and yeah, it was just something that was funny. He's like, ah, uh, yeah, it's just my dad being weird.
0: Yeah, just knowing what you look like, I I don't think I could see your dad being a Batista look-alike. All that no, much. No, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. But um, but yeah, going back to what I said about his presence in star power, obviously he carried that over to Hollywood as well. And what's interesting about that is, you know, it wasn't like he left WWE and instantly he's a big movie star no he was in like supporting roles at first and like scorpion king 3 and the third riddick movie but you know after a few years the role of drax came up and he took some acting lessons to prepare for it and he got the part and he steals guardians of the galaxy he steals that movie and that opens the door for him to be in marvel and and to be a bond villain and get to be in like blade runner you know he's in like one scene in the new Blade Runner movie, and he's fantastic in it. He, he's a really good actor, and now he's going to be in Dune. So you know, good for him for putting in the work and getting these cool roles and having this whole other career outside of wrestling.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, it, and it's funny because when you look back on it, I, I think the timeline's just a little bit shorter in comparison, but his sort of like, I guess, uh, path to being a superstar in Hollywood – followed The Rock in a way. Cause I, I feel like that once The Rock went to Hollywood, he didn't, it felt like he didn't have anything really big until he picked up the role for Fast Five. And that's when I think really The Rock sort of took off and became, you know, the the, the global name that he is today. And with Batista, you know, the timeline's a little shorter. I think it was only a couple of years after he left that he got the Guardians of the Galaxy role. But, yeah, it's sort of the same idea where he didn't See success instantly, but he uh, he got there eventually, and it was all you know, just timing and finding the right role, and you know. So as long as as long as he wants to be involved in Guardians of the Galaxy, and it, Guardians of the Galaxy, and as long as they are making those movies, like he's gonna be, he's he's gonna be set for a long time. And uh, I guess I mean, he also in between Guardians of the Galaxy and his WWE run. You know, when he left and when he started doing the Marvel stuff, he did have that uh, sort of, uh, if I can remember, that the uh, short-lived MMA career. But let's not talk about that. That's a very forgettable part of his, uh, I guess, his last 10 years.
0: So let's get to these themes here. Uh, just to put this out there ahead of time, uh, we will not be covering the two evolution themes, uh, Evolve and Line in the Sand, because... Those were already covered twice now on the show, first on the Triple H episode, and then again on the Randy Orton episode. Uh, I think it'd be a little overkill to cover them yet again, so uh, go back and check out those episodes if you want to hear our thoughts about those two songs. Now, in an alternate timeline, we might have begun in WCW, because Batista tried out for the power plant in 99, and the head trainer there, Sergeant Buddy Lee Parker, allegedly told him that he'll never make it in wrestling. And he ran him out of the tryout. Which, you know, in hindsight, not the best move, I don't think. Yeah. But uh, instead, Batista went first to train with Afa, uh, the Wild Samoans, at his school. And got his first gimmick there as Khan. Not Tony, just Khan. And then in 2000, uh, Batista signed with WWF and joined their developmental territory, OVW. And there he became... Leviathan, the demon of the deep, as a member of the Disciples of Sin, a group that would include Kevin Thorne, Tyson Tomko, Devin Storm, Aaron Aguilera, and of course, Sin, who was Stacy Cornett, Jim Cornett's now wife, who we now know likes to engage in extramarital activities with Jim's consent, uh, shall we That's say? One way to put it. Uh,
2: one way to put it. <laughs>
0: Uh, Leviathan's first theme in OVW is by Godsmack, off their self-titled debut album. This is Voodoo.
2: I'm not
0: the one who's so far away When I feel the snake bite and tear my veins Never did I wanna be
1: here again And I don't remember why I came
0: So the Leviathan gimmick, it's a left turn from what we're used to with Batista. You know, he's not the cool superstar Batista here or the straight-laced evolution henchman. He's Leviathan. He's a big supernatural monster. The demon of the deep with eye contacts and fangs and a big chain around his neck. Looking real spooky. A very early 2000s gimmick for sure. And there's the same divergence with the music as well. You know, we're used to I Walk Alone. We're used to the big... Uh, you know, arena anthem rock song that is full throttle power. Voodoo is relatively much more subdued than that. It's going for like a mystical, dark tribal atmosphere. Um, I know Sully Erna, the lead singer of Godsmack. If you check out his uh, solo album Avalon, you can hear a lot of that same sound with that too. Um, here we've got that type of, of tribal percussion and the the more chanting like singing. Again, it's a bit of an odd juxtaposition when you think about like you know regular Batista but if you have Leviathan in mind and early 2000s OBW in mind as well it fits a lot better Sean
2: yeah uh I guess the, the uh, Leviathan gimmicks just to me seems like a very like first time I ever saw it, you know it was probably years ago but you know, looking back at Leviathan in preparation for this episode, it was so sort of like, "Oh, this is totally something that I think Jim Cornette would have come up with an OBW around this time." Uh, just felt like a very, um, I guess, something that would have you know fit right in with like Smoky Mountain or something, which is you know, you know, that's all Jim Cornette. But uh, as far as the song goes, yeah, I actually, you know, I'm someone who en- enjoys Godsmack a lot, even though I haven't. Haven't gotten a chance to see them live yet, but I've generally enjoyed their music. Um, and yeah, this is a song I actually had never heard before. Not not one of their songs that i heard previously, but actually I did really enjoy it, and I, I do think that the just sort of the obviously the name sort of plays into what the Leviathan gimmick is and sort of, I guess, and we'll talk about later, the, the video that's sort of associated with it. Um... But no, I I just the, the sense that I got from it, and maybe this is because of the drum beats that are sort of sort of so I guess prevalent throughout the song, it really gave me the sense that, oh, there's a as when I think of it as a wrestling theme, it's sort of like, oh, there's a you know, there's a, a, a monster coming. There's a there's something big and scary, you know, making his way to the ring or wherever he's coming from. Um, just sort of and again, I just I think it's just those those drum beats that really sort of add to that sort of like this this looming presence that oh this this figure this creature this whatever is is coming for you know whoever he's coming for so yeah and i guess as far as and with the song that's sort of the one thing that i guess sticks out to me the most
0: and the lyrics as well they're a different spin too you know this is not like a big inspirational warrior battle cry fitting for the animal batista this is a, a dark and dire song that is actually based on a book and a movie called *The Serpent and the Rainbow*, which is about Haitian voodoo. Makes sense there. So you've got lyrics like, "I'm not the one who's so far away when I feel the snake bite enter my veins. Never did I wanna be here again, and I don't remember why I came." There's that recurring theme of confusion, disassociation uh, that is associated with like voodoo zombies and stuff. Um, no more meaning to my life, no more reason to stay, hazing clouds rain on my head, empty thoughts fill my ears, find my shade by the moonlight, why my thoughts aren't so clear. It's not like your typical intimidating, ah, I'm a monster, I'll rip you in half. It's a lot more uh psychological, I think, and a lot more uh, heady than physical, which for a Hulk like Leviathan, it's a bit strange, but again... He's supposed to be a mystical character, and I guess whoever picked this song just thought, okay, voodoo, gothic spookiness, it's it's very ominous sounding, so I can see their thought process behind this one, Sean.
2: Yeah, and like you said, sort of the lyrics, um, different for what we would expect for a Batista song, but they definitely fit with the character. Like, when they keep saying the snake bite, you know, just makes me think of the... Uh, of the the fangs that, I guess, Batista had for this character. And then just sort of, you know, demons dreaming, breathing in. Uh, Just, you know, again, he's the the creature or demon from the deep or creature from the deep or or whatever the Leviathan character was supposed to be. Uh, No, yeah, it just fits well with what they were, I guess, going for with him at that time.
0: You uh, mentioned the music video earlier, and um, if you haven't seen it, it's on YouTube Uh, Just look up Leviathan OVW music video, and uh, it's pretty incredible. Uh, (laughs) uh, In it, uh, Sin is performing uh, some sort of uh, Louisville voodoo ceremony in her living room. (laughs) Uh, It's dark, there's candles and skulls and uh, mystical tomes. She's using voodoo dolls and throwing pictures into a fireplace. So clearly this is some sort of ritual, and they cut to some, uh, some derelict Kentucky cemetery where Leviathan is sleeping on a gravestone and then Leviathan wakes and he rises from the grave and he roams around the graveyard and, and he walks through the woods and he's looking all big and scary looking. They splice in footage of Leviathan in OVW destroying dudes left and right like like the big show. He suplexes the big show. And then Leviathan ends up in the living room with Sin, and Sin's shooting off fireballs, and Leviathan's posing, and it, it's definitely very, very goofy and very, very cheap-looking as well. But uh, again, it is OBW after all, and uh, and goofiness aside, it is a fitting video to introduce this Leviathan character to the audience. Sean,
2: oh yeah, definitely, definitely on the goofier side. But again, this is this character sort of really fits in with sort of the stuff that uh Cornet was known for doing in places like Smoky Mountain and OVW. And I guess it was it was really watching this video that I sort of got that sense earlier that I mentioned with the sort of the drumbeat and the and the coming monster that's getting, you know and, and again, that I think the video really sort of contributed that I guess that thing I was able to get away from the the song itself is just that, oh yeah, this is I, I, it works in the sense that you know it's it's an entrance song and it's you know presenting that oh the monster is coming you know and I another reason why I like it too and and this is sort of not necessarily re- related to Batista but you know I was listening to the beats and what and you're just listening to the song it's sort of for me it passed um, I don't know if this is something that other people have said before so I apologize if I'm stealing it. But for me, it it, it passed, I guess you can call it the the barricade test, where um, if I think about this song and I'm listening to the beat, it it comes, you know, and I'm going along with the beat, and it it definitely comes across as a song that would fit perfectly in a place like Ring of Honor where you could, like, it's definitely a song where you could, like, smack the barricades to it, like, especially during that, that, you know, the drum parts in the beginning. It definitely, uh, if somebody had this song in Ring of Honor, uh which obviously they didn't but if somebody did it definitely would fit perfectly with the i guess the uh the, the settings and the ambiance of Fringal of Honor at the time where you would have people you know slap at the barricades to song this to a song and this is definitely a uh, a song that you could definitely slap a barricade
0: to so the second leviathan theme is also by godsmack a little double dose of godsmack here uh, apparently he had this in 2002 this is off of the album awake And it's the song Awake. This one is definitely more Batista speed, it's a lot heavier, a lot more impactful than Voodoo is, and certainly I think a much more exciting song for a wrestling show uh, than Voodoo is as well. The thing is, I couldn't find like any footage or dates of Leviathan using this song as his music here, but I THINK, based off an educated guess, that he used this after he left the Disciples of Sin, because he did, I think, leave the group right before he went to WWE, the main roster. And if I'm right about that, him having this song makes a lot of sense because it's about moving past a bad relationship. And now that you're not with them anymore, you're now awake. Uh, The lyrics, I'm alive for you. I'm awake because of you. I'm alive, I told you. I'm awake swallowing you alive. So if that was the case and he did use it in that way, then it it does work story-wise. But um, but again, I, I couldn't find any footage or any like any detailed recaps of that time in obw so i'm going by uh, cage match results to be honest with you but uh, that's the way i see this song sean
2: yeah and i'm actually glad that you brought that up because um when i was listening to the song and sort of looking over the lyrics uh the thing that came to mind is that because I, I i had no idea whether leviathan had broken away from this group because i didn't i i obviously did not do the extensive cage match research but uh yeah, my, my initial thought was, yeah, if this was for, if he had used this when he was still with this group, this uh, Disciples of Sin, then it it wouldn't have made as much sense for him as a heel. And then I, I thought, well, it, may, it would make more sense if it was for, you know, a version of him where he sort of broke away and sort of became his own. And, the, the you know, the lyrics about, you know, taping, taking a step back so I could breathe, you know that, that fixed perfectly with, I guess, apparently what happened based on the cage match results of him breaking away from that stable. Um, so yeah, no, this is for a character who was a, who was a bad guy. Who was a heel or so, sort of, who, uh, sort of broke away and be, I guess broke away from a heel stable. This song works though. So I guess personally, um, I guess out of his two OBW songs, I prefer honestly the, uh, Voodoo. Um, and like like you said, we don't really have any sort of video evidence of him using this song at any point. But yeah, I, I guess for the Leviathan character, I still think that Voodoo is the better song. Even though I, I do like this song, this Awake song, um, and obviously I still like Godsmack, of course. Um, out of the four out of the four rock songs that Batista had, I definitely think this is. Uh, towards the bottom, even though I still, just generally, I like the song, um, but out, out, of, out of those four, it, and the ones we'll get to later, it's, I guess, it would be the, the fourth one for me.
0: Well, Voodoo is certainly a song that would stand out more, I think, especially yeah. when you consider the time period, too, you know, as evidenced on this podcast many a time over the years, um, how many 2000s indie wrestlers came out to aggressive, jacked-up new metal, um, I mean, the Disciples of Sin, their stable theme was Break Stuff by Limp Bizkit. So there you go. So um, Awake, yeah, it's not exactly going against the grain as much as uh, Voodoo does.
2: Yeah, and, and, and to this day, and to this day, like, and I don't know if this is indicative of just my style or my taste in music, but that's, like, sort of, like, uh, the kind of music that I still, like, enjoy the most. Like, stuff from that, you know, either... Songs from the 2000s, like new metal rock songs like that, like your, I guess your Avenged Sevenfolds, your Breaking Benjamins, your Godsmacks, your Salivas, as we'll get to later. Uh, Either like songs by them from that period or songs by them later. That's sort of like my general, uh, my sort of my favorite tastes of music, I guess. Um, But even like Awake is, I guess, a song that even though I, I like, it doesn't really... Stand out as a theme as much as voodoo does for whatever reason. Um, so yeah, no, I, I just again, just I guess for Leviathan, voodoo worked out a little better, I think.
0: Well, looking ahead, this does actually kind of foreshadow his eventual face run after leaving evolution and going solo and, and becoming his own man, and that would of course be expounded upon later with uh, I Walk Alone, which we'll get to shortly. So a bit of foreshadowing there, I think. But um, but yeah, that was our Godsmack part of the show, uh, the Godsmack corner, if you will. Um, I guess, like you, I like a little bit of Godsmack, but with that kind of stuff, I probably prefer like Disturbed or Avenged Sevenfold or like uh, System of a Down. But um, at the same time, you know, Godsmack are from Massachusetts. So I do have to give them a little bit of love as the home state guys. So
2: yeah. Yeah. And another one I mentioned, Breaking Benjamin, I mean, they're from, they're, they're, the original band is from my hometown, so <laughs> right, right. i right always got to give them that support.
0: All right, so Leviathan gets called up to WWE in May 2002, uh, Big Dave on the main roster here now, and no longer Leviathan, now he's Deacon Batista, the right-hand man of good old Reverend Devon on SmackDown. He still had the chain with him, but now he's got a dress shirt, a nice vest, and of course, The collection box and Deacon Batista's theme was actually Reverend Devon's theme. This is by Jim Johnston, featuring Mady Miles on vocals, off of WWE Anthology. Now, this is Eyes of Righteousness. To say, um, and I say this with zero irony behind
1: this in the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark until now. Introducing slab packs from arena club.com, the only repack that provides real value Off again, that's arena club.com slash VOW net, arena club.com slash VOW net for ten percent off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voice of the Wrestling Podcast Network.
0: I legit love this song so much. Uh the Reverend Devon Deacon Batista gimmick that, that's whatever. I can take him and leave him, but this song is just it's awesome. Um and Lord knows, look, I'm not black. I'm not Baptist, I'm not Christian, but I think even I can say that Jim Johnston absolutely nailed the Black Baptist Church choir aesthetic with the light funky guitar, the piano, the organ, the tambourine, the simple beat you can clap along to, boom, cha, boom, cha. The religious lyrics, obviously, but especially the vocals, because... Mady Miles sings her ass off here, and she is fantastic on this song. She puts everything she has into it, and it just puts it over the top. So, I give this one two big thumbs up, Sean.
2: Oh yeah, like as as a song, uh, it it it's a great gospel song, and it's and it's funny how that sort of it was. They were able to get such a great song out of what essentially is you know it's it's a wrestling theme, uh, but it's it's a song that could. That is more than capable of, of standing on its own as a, just a great gospel song, if that's sort of the style of music that you like to listen to. Um, yeah, no, this is, this just sort of feels like, um, you know, we always talk about how sometimes in WWE you have these wrestlers who go through these weird gimmicks before they eventually sort of get to their superstardom. And it's a funny, oh, remember when? You know, remember when Steve Austin was the ringmaster or remember when the rock was the, you know, happy-go-lucky baby face that was sort of dressed in this, I guess, tribal garb to sort of, I guess, uh, pay homage to his heritage. And for Batista, you know, it's the, the creature from the deep Leviathan and it's uh, Reverend Devon's enforcer with the collection box. Um, yeah, no, it's. Like I said, it's a good song. I really don't have anything really, uh, anything else noteworthy to say about it. It's a very, it's a very fun, very catchy song. And yeah, no, it, it, with the, again, with Batista, it just sort of had, sort of just brings to mind like, hey, remember when Batista was Reverend Devon's uh, enforcer? And uh, the fact that it was a gimmick that only just lasted a couple months, you know, just contributes to that.
0: It's definitely a strange dichotomy between Batista and this theme song, for sure, and and Batista and the gimmick as well. It's odd to see him like that, but I think in the context of the Deacon Batista gimmick, the song works well if you think about it where he was before. Because you've got lyrics like, Lord, I was a sinner. I was unclean. But I've been to the mountain and the truth I've seen. Yes, I bear witness. Put my faith to the test. Hey, Lord, give me eyes of righteousness. What was Batista doing right before joining the main roster? He was Leviathan. He was this demonic beast in league with dark forces. But now he's Deacon Batista. Now he's seen the light. He's come to Jesus. And he's no longer the dark sinner that he used to be. So, yeah, even though it's technically Devon's Song and the gimmick is, you know, very silly to look back on. But um, it does actually work as the next chapter in his story.
2: Yeah, yeah, and I, and I just find it I find it funny just the idea of thinking, you know, one day, you know, uh Reverend Devon goes to OVW and sees this this creature of the deep Leviathan and and, and converts him to to Christianity essentially <laughs> and shows him the ways of Jesus Christ and God and everything. So, uh no, yeah, yeah, for, for in that sense it it does work for him as well. Absolutely.
0: And the shift in the music works too. You know, going from the aggressive, dark, gloomy metal music with Godsmack to this, you know, upbeat, lighter, soulful gospel music. That works too in, in showing Batista's his journey from darkness to light. Um, none of this is official, by the way. Uh, that's my English major bullshit uh, pulling at strings there. But, um, but anyway, I looked up some info on Mady Miles. Uh, she used to be a gospel singer as a teen. And then later on in the 60s and 70s, uh, she became an R&B singer uh, under the name Debbie Taylor. Um, Never really had much commercial success. I think she had like one single, made the top 100, but um, never really broke out beyond that all that much. So there is a good chance that this theme is actually the biggest thing she ever did. Uh, So there you go. But um, And and still alive, by the way, too. Uh, She is uh, 73 years old, so uh, good for her. So, uh, Deacon Batista does not last. He splits up with Devon and goes over to Raw in Fall of 02, where he just becomes Batista. And then he hooks up with Ric Flair, and then at the beginning of 03, along comes Triple H and Randy Orton, and evolution is born, with Batista being the animal, the big enforcer of the group. Now, he gets his first actual quote unquote Batista theme. When he turned on Devon, had a match with him on SmackDown. But this theme carries over to Raw and will be with Batista until uh, May of 05, so about two and a half years or so. This is by Jim Johnston off of WWE Uncaged 3. It's just called Animal. To the heaviness here, back to the metal. Uh, this is actually the first, you know, proper Batista theme. Uh, not Leviathan, not Deacon Batista, um, but actual no nonsense ass kicker Dave Batista that we've had for about uh, 18 years or so, I guess. And I think Jim Johnston, he did a good job here. Um, it's not his best song or the most dynamic in the world, but you have the intensity, you have that initial evil guitar riff. <laughs> Those sustained whining notes. <laughs> the badass guitar solo, the the chugga-chugga rhythm guitar. It's very much a guitar-centric song, which Jim Johnston is pretty great at doing. So I won't call this his best work ever, but it's still good. And it definitely gets the job done in in telling you, hey, this guy will kick your ass, Sean.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Obviously the only song in the list that we're talking about that doesn't have any, you know, any lyrics, it's just just a rock tune. Um... And honestly, you know, I honestly, his his later theme that we all know and love uh, gets all the attention. But honestly, I I think this is a good little jam. Um, you know, fits perfectly for his role as sort of the the silent enforcer of Evolution, who's there to back up Triple H and Randy Orton and Ric Flair and just beat up people for you know whoever Triple H wants wants beaten up. He'll takes care of that, and, yeah, you know, no, know, it just works for what his role was at that time.
0: Yeah, I mean, he took the words right out of my mouth, uh, you know, comparing the two, I think, yeah, I Walk Alone is the better song, but, again, context matters. Batista and Evolution wasn't the focal point of the group, and he wasn't, as well, the super charismatic, you know, superstar either, that it became later on. Towards the end of that Evolution run, where he became more and more of a face, sure, yeah, but, like, O two O three O four Batista. He was simply the big hulking enforcer, while Triple H and Flair took the lead. So him having this, you know, kind of run of the mill mean guitar instrumental here, it fits the context of his role.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And again, like I like I said earlier, it's still, you know, obviously doesn't have the same notoriety, but still, you know, personally, I still think it's a, it's a decent little song for him. And it's it's funny because. When you think of you know, when, when Batista became a face and became the, the top star on Raw and later SmackDown, you obviously think of, of the theme song that we'll talk about in a little bit, but it, it's funny to look back and, and remember that he had the song for probably a little longer than most people think. Like When he beat Triple H at WrestleMania and won the World Championship, and when he won the Royal Rumble in that first part of 2005, You know, when he's at WrestleMania, the confetti's coming down, the fireworks are going off as he's celebrating his win. Like, this is the song that's playing. It's not I Walk Alone just yet. You know, when he has big WrestleMania moment, they went off the air with with this song, you know, blasting through the Staples Center. So, uh, you know, I just wanted to to note that it was around, you know, people, I guess, would think that, you know, as soon as he turned face, he had I Walk Alone, when that really wasn't the case necessarily for those first couple months.
0: Yeah, it's not like with Evil, where he turns on L.I.J., and then the next night, boom, a new song. Um, you're right, he did have this for a few months after that Mania title win, which is interesting to look back on, I think. And, and Especially when you compare it to like Randy Orton, because when Randy was in Evolution, he had the stable theme as his own theme. And then when he got kicked out of it, like the very next week, he had Burning My Light. So he got this new era theme a lot earlier than Batista did, that's for sure. But um, but yeah, Animal, yeah, it's a fine song. Like I said, it gets the job done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the final theme of the episode is the one that Batista has had the longest, and the one that people know him best for having, of course. Uh, starting in late 04, early 05, as you mentioned, Batista started showing more and more of a face side to him. He was still in Evolution, mind you, but he was becoming more and more of a good guy, and fans were cheering him more and more as well. He wins the Royal Rumble, and in a famous moment, he turns on Evolution gives Triple H the thumbs down, power bombs him through the table and officially becomes a babyface. He wins the World Heavyweight title at WrestleMania 21 and then a few months later he gets his new theme song. This is by Jim Johnston and Saliva off of WWE Reckless Intent. This is I Walk Alone. <laughs> the main event what we've all been waiting for and um, I don't know if this is just like nostalgia or a reaction to the state of American wrestling music nowadays but they just don't make themes like this one anymore do they? I mean so many themes nowadays is just you know generic metal guitar riffs or the same synth beats over and over again or the library songs or whatever and they just don't feel like they'll make any real impact on the collective consciousness of wrestling fans. This one though I think a lot of people remember this one and think of it rather fondly too because it's a proper superstar entrance theme. You know, people remember those. And as well, it fits Batista like a glove. Not just because it uses the music from Animal, obviously, but it feels like it's a reflection of him. It's got the big time energy, the big time firepower. The opening riff is so recognizable. The vocals are on point. The yeah works so well. The lyrics are on point too. This is undeniably Batista's theme, and I think Jim Johnston and Saliva did a great job in that regard, Sean.
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, again, it, it, it just serves, and this is a bit ironic, serves as a great evol- evolution from that animal theme to I Walk Alone. <sighs> I was
0: going to make that pun, damn it. <laughs>
2: oh, oh I'm, I'm sorry, Andrew, I'm sorry. It's
0: all right, it's all right.
2: I, I guess we were on the same wavelength there, but uh, no, yeah, its it's sort of like it sort of reminds me back to the Rocks themes where sort of each and obviously you know Rocks theme went through many more evolutions but that idea is still the same there where it sort of he had this one theme and it sort of evolved into a, a more well known theme or a better version of the theme later on. Um, yeah, so I in that regard I thought Jim Johnston did a great job in just sort of taking that theme to the next step to, to its next natural evolution as, as we said uh and i think saliva does a good job as well you know saliva is another one of those bands from that era that i still very much enjoy i still listen to a lot of their music and no yeah i, I think they did just a great job because it gets the great yeah at the start and then i think they do add the song a little bit because i think uh if you just listen to the you know the, the bass song it has a different uh different verse before it goes into the verse that i think is featured mainly in the song when Beast comes out um but yeah no they just do they do a great job performing it and uh gosh i don't think i've ever seen saliva live so i don't think i could say i got to see them sing this song in person uh, um but uh no yeah they again they do a great job and it sort of fits in well with a lot of the music that they did at the time as well um and it's a great real great uh, great lyrics as well um uh, obviously I think the one that everyone thinks about is, is the pit of danger. Um, and it, it's just, it's just funny to think about like what, what, I mean, maybe you could have an idea. What, what do you think when you talk about the pit of danger is it just the, the, the ring, the battlefield he's going into, like, what, what, what do you think about when you think about the pit of danger?
0: Yeah, I think so. I, I think the fact that he's the champion now, he's the guy on his own path. So now he's the target. People will come after him because he walks alone. And the reason why he walks alone is because, according to the song, he's taking a lot of shit from people. I'm sick of all these people tugging out their heads. I never understood a damn thing that they said. From words to actions, never knowing what they're about. I guess I'll have to chew them up and spit them out. And I said! You know, that was the story of him and Triple H and Evolution. Where Batista, he wins the Rumble. And Triple H is like, oh shit, I'm the world champion. Batista could go after my title. I don't want that. So he tried to trick him and make him think that JBL on SmackDown was going after him. You know, he did the thing where he mocked up JBL's limo and tried to run Batista over. But uh, Batista, he figured it out and he beat up Triple H and left Evolution. So now he walks alone and he walks through this pit of danger. All All these challenges are coming after him now and he doesn't have his buddies in Evolution to help him. But it's okay because it's Batista. He's a badass and he'll destroy anyone in his way. So I think these lyrics do a good job of telling the story of Batista and where he is post-evolution um, as the top champion.
2: Yeah, and then you got other lines too, where you talk about swallowing, swallowing down the thousand years of anger, which again I, I think just more fits with just Batista's, you know, his, I guess his style and the energy that he brings. And then the the weight of the world falling on his shoulders, which is kind of true for where he was at that time, you know the world champion on Raw and later SmackDown and sort of the weight of being one of the top stars. And he's, and that's a weight he had to carry when he was on top for however long he wasn't on top for.
0: And the song, I think regardless of the lyrics themselves, it reflects this growth of him coming out of the silent enforcer role and becoming his own man, you know, becoming the main eventer. He no longer has this instrumental. Now he has a song with vocals and lyrics, which feels more complete. And now He's cutting promos, too, and showing off his charisma and personality, and now he feels more complete. So again, the evolution, no pun intended, of the song goes hand in hand with the evolution of the wrestler, which is what's so cool about wrestling themes. You know, you can change them up and mold them to fit the wrestler or the situation. You know, Jeff Hardy in TNA practically had a new theme every year, depending on where he was in his career. Uh, Same with Undertaker for many years. Uh, Same with Cody and the Smoke and Mirrors themes. There's a bunch of examples out there, you know, and in this case, Jericho too. Jericho, yep, Jericho too, of course. Um, and in this case, going from animal to I walk alone, it tells the story of Batista advancing from henchman ass kicker to superstar ass kicker.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And again, it, it it served him well through that run where he was, you know, world champion or just a regular world title contender, and. I guess it is sort of interesting that he kept the theme when he had that that heel run late in his uh late in his original run where he turned on Rey Mysterio and he was feuding with John Cena for those couple months in 2010, and still even after that when he came back in 2014 and then when he came back uh, last year when he feuded with Triple H, you know, he still had "I Walk Alone," and again, that's something sort of like. Uh, with certain people, I I do enjoy when they I mean with some people it makes sense that when they turn heel or when they turn face or whatever have you uh, they sort of change the theme or get a entirely new theme. But I also like it how you know yet some people who I think uh, Naito is an example of this as well where they have essentially the same theme you know regardless of whether they were in Naito's case you know the Stardust Genius who was part of the home army or the guy who's leading L I J it's the same theme for him for essentially all that time. And you could say the same with Batista, where, even though he still had that, uh, even though he had the, the face run for many years, he, he turned heel and then he, the times he came back, he was pretty much a heel through all that, those different runs. He would still had, I walk alone and it was still uh, uh still a big part of his character and still a big part of the appeal of Batista.
0: And uh, I do want to bring up the entrance as well, which I also love, you know, him coming oh, yeah. out with the, the pyro and the machine gun arms. and But you also, you brought up the end of that first run in, in 2010, where he was a heel again. I remember he stopped doing the machine gun arms and pyro, and instead, the arena goes dark, and there's just a spotlight on him yes. as he walks to the ring. Which is cool, because again, the idea of I Walk Alone, the spotlight is only showing him. So... That was a neat way to still incorporate that part of the song into this new entrance and personality.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned the the cannon arm is I and, and I'm sure I'm sure you would say this too. Anybody who sort of grew up as a kid during that time, or grew up in you know middle school, high school, however old you were, and you were that at that age and watching WWE, I I would be you I would call you a liar if you said that you could not at least once do the cannon arms. <laughs> At, at some point, whether there's fireworks going off for like 4th of July or whether you're doing it at the pool at maybe your house pool or whatever, like you've, you, you, you've definitely done it at some point. If you like were part of our age group at the time, watching WWE, watching Batista during his run.
0: Yeah, it was that it was the Rob Van Dam arm taunt. And uh, also in the shower trying to do the triple H water spit. Like those are <laughs> things that like every young wrestling fan has done at least, like, once in their life. Yep. But, um, oh, one more thing about this song, actually, and this is pretty funny, but uh, down in Mexico, uh, down in the world of Lucha Libre, uh, in typical Lucha fashion, uh, this song is used by a wrestler in AAA, uh, Viano 3 Jr., he has this song as his theme, because it's Mexico, fuck copyright laws. <laughs> That's the way it goes down there, you know? It, it's like Rouge coming out to uh, Crispin Wass' theme, whatever, for a time. So... This may be Batista's theme everywhere else, but uh, down in Mexico way, this song belongs to Villano three jr. Thank you very much
2: <laughs> yeah yeah that, that's that that's uh, I guess a little uh weird um asterisk to it, I guess just sort of certainly doesn't seem like the sort of theme that would fit a uh fit a luchador um I'm actually just thinking more about i walk alone i I don't know if you were going to bring this up but I know. and and i'm not sure if this has ever been released anywhere but i know they did i think it was for i'm guessing it was for some sort of documentary i'm sure you would know more than i do uh they did some some acoustic version that i figured was only on that documentary i have no idea if that was actually like released anywhere but from the clips i remember hearing of it it's it's a nice little uh it's a nice little tune, even though obviously you know, he never used it as an entrance theme.
0: I looked it up. It was actually put out on the first uncaged album a few years ago. Oh, so. yes,
2: Oh Actually, now that I think about it, I probably have that on my, on my iTunes somewhere. Um, and I guess, uh, one more thing. And I always, I've always found this one very funny. I found this a long time ago. And I have no idea if you know what I'm going to, what I'm about to mention here. Um, and maybe if you want to later when you're editing, you splice this in, but, uh, I remember, I think it was researching, I was doing a book report on Batista's uh, autobiography that he came out with around like 2007 or so. It was for a middle school English class thing. And I remember, I remember coming across this hilarious, I don't know if it was hilarious because it was bad or just hilarious it was, because of what it was. But if you just go on YouTube and look up Batista Beatbox, there is a very funny rendition of I Walk Alone that's sort of just like a beatbox song that somebody just did. It's again, I don't know if it's funny because it's bad or if it's funny because it's it's Batista's theme, but it's beatbox. But if you ever have the chance to go on YouTube and look that up, it's just 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 search Batista Beatbox. It should be the first thing that comes up. It's a it's a very funny rendition of Batista's theme. I'll put it in right here. How about that? <laughs> Thank you. It's, it's, again, it's, I just find it hilarious every time I listen to it. I'll, I'll go, you know, a little while without listening to it. Then I'll, you know, just randomly just search it again. It's like, oh, this is, this is funny.
0: All right. Well, those were the themes of Batista. Um, a very short list, mind you, because uh, Dave used I Walk Alone forever and he never went to any other promotions. He's always been a WWE guy. So uh, only a handful of themes for him in his career. But um, but yeah, Dave Batista. you know, uh, I think looking back, he didn't have a perfect run by any stretch. You know, he had some injuries that kept him out for long periods of time. There was the whole Bautista thing when he came back in 2014. That was a big mess. But uh, uh, Butista you, you
2: know, and and Bautista.
0: All right. Yes. Yes. And um and I think there was a uh, skinny jeans Batista too, yes. in that uh, in that time period. But uh, but, you know, I think in the grand scheme of things, he had a pretty good run. You know, he started off with a pretty hokey gimmick as Leviathan, but from there he rose up the ranks and became a multi-time world champion, main evented WrestleManias, and I think in general left a very positive impression in a lot of fans' minds. Um, And now, he's out of wrestling and he gets to be in huge movies and have a a good career there too. So, I think, you know, all things considered, he did very well for himself, uh, did Dave Batista. So, uh, good on him, good on him. But um, what about you, Sean? Any final thoughts on Batista?
2: I guess the one thing that really sticks out and again, maybe this is just because he had been, he had gotten, you know, into re- into a relationship with triple H as far as, you know, connecting with someone who was going to protect him. But I, I, I find it, it's very noteworthy that throughout that whole early to mid 2000s period, when triple H had the reign, reign of terror on, you know, on Raw and like seemingly in world title matches on every pay-per-view. Um, It's interesting that in that feud with Batista, and obviously you know he got his he got his win back, quote unquote, at WrestleMania last year. Um, But I always found it interesting that you know he was the one guy with Batista and with Triple H that that was the one feud where Triple H pretty much definitively like put that guy over, where he you know he lost at WrestleMania, he lost the world title, he lost the rematch at Backlash. And then a couple months later, he lost again in Hell in a Cell. So throughout that whole, you know, again the period of oh Triple H, you know, he's he's burying people as a world champion and he's he's holding people down and or whether that perception is real or not, whatever you want to say about it, um, that Batista viewed was the one instance I think throughout that whole period where Triple H like definitively put someone over, and I don't think you could really it's very hard to find other instances in, instances like that if they're even out there from that period. But and I, I guess that just goes more to show that they really believed in Batista as a star and, you know, he very much was a star throughout that period. You know, once he became a face and became the world champion and, and obviously years later, he went on to become an even bigger star in Hollywood. So I guess that, that's just an interesting little, uh, little note, just that he, you know, was one of the few guys who during that period actually got one over on Triple H and like beat him decisively.
0: All right, that's gonna do it for this episode of Music of the Matt. Thank you so much for listening and uh thank you, Sean, for being here. This was so much fun.
2: Yeah, no problem. Absolutely. Always love to make a uh always love to make my yearly appearance on Music of the Mat.
0: <laughs> uh, any plugs you want to give, go right ahead.
2: Um so you can find me on Twitter at SACDOR2994 uh, whereas we mentioned earlier, you could find my NASCAR tweets or wrestling or whatever you want to follow me for. Uh, I obviously do work at Voices Wrestling, um, doing various columns. No, not well, not really columns. More just mainly just reviews of shows, whether it be New Japan or well, I would say Ring of Honor, but they're not running right now because of COVID. Um, the occasional WWE, I'll, I'll hop on a pay per view review they need someone um and i guess i guess i'll plug also i sort of so i sort of have a twitch account i say sort of because i really don't i i've been streaming my gameplay from the f1 2020 game on there recently but i more so uh what i've ended up doing is i just record it on twitch where i you know just record myself playing the game talk about what i'm doing and then i upload it to youtube so I, I would say more, just go to you, go to my YouTube page. I, I think it's just under my name. You can just search my name and find it. Um, just, if you want to just watch me play F1 2020, you can do that. And then I guess on, I guess for the other thing on Twitch, I'm, I'm thinking of starting back up my EWR game that I haven't played in, in a couple months of my, uh, my WCW game. And I, I still have to figure out sort of how to sort of get it to work where I can play it on Twitch and how everything works. I think I have the right software for it. But I just got to, you know, work out the kinks and see if it works. Um, but yeah, just, just more. So want to get that finished because I I want to play, I want to play um, TWE at some point, but I want to finish my EWR game first. So uh, yeah, you can look forward to that too. All right, cool.
0: And uh, music of the mat is of course, part of the voices of wrestling podcast network. Check out all the great podcasts on there at voices of uh, Speaking of which actually uh, listen to my recent appearance on wrestling of uh, with John Carrolls. So check that one out. Uh, follow the show on Twitter at Music of the Mat. Follow me on Twitter at Andrew T Rich. If you want to comment about this episode or past episodes, just go to the VOW Discord at Voicesofwrestling.com slash Discord. If you want to donate to the show, you can do that. Go over to com slash donate and click the big donate button beneath the name Music of the Mat. If you donate, hey you're awesome. Thanks so much. And, of course, rate, review, subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many other places. Uh, Sean, thank you again, and I'll see you around.
2: Yeah, no problem.
0: Always a pleasure. All right. For Sean Cedor, I'm Andrew Rich, and I'll see you next time on Music of the Met. Take care, guys.
2: The vision has a poison on its breath This counterculture of both wicked lies and death It makes my eyes bleed every time I turn around How will they all feel when I bring them to the ground and I say I've walked for miles in this pit of danger
1: A place where no one follows me I walk alone